All right, well, how are we? Yeah, good. It's 11 o'clock. We're almost awake. Um, hey, we are, I'm excited for today. We are starting a new series called Be Strong. And we're going to take uh, about 17 weeks and look through the book of Joshua. So this is going to be kind of a fun day. Um, it's going to be fitting that we start this new series as we are here celebrating um, our one-year anniversary. Because as we look at Joshua and we, we understand what Joshua is about, there's a lot of cool things that happen. You know, I believe that God is still working in our midst. You know, we're here and we're saying, oh, we've made it a year. Praise God. And I know there's some of you that were with us a year ago right here. There's some of you that weren't with us a year ago right here with us. And you know what? Praise God you're here today because we need you for our second year and our third year and our fourth year. And so as we get ready to look at the book of Joshua, um, I want to kind of have do a kind of a long introduction to kind of give us a background into the book. Uh, if you were to casually read through the book of Joshua, you would look at it and say, man, this book is kind of like a, a history book. It's, it's a, uh, a casual reading, shows it to be a mili- military record of Joshua and the Israelites as they go and they conquest the land of Canaan. And, and surely we look at this book and we say, there's got to be more to Joshua than just a bunch of military victories. And this is what happened, Right. Well, yes, absolutely. There is so much more to this book. Before we get into that, I want to look in just a few, a few background information that you need to know about the book of Joshua. Tradition says that the book was written by Joshua himself. Now, it's never explicitly said, you know, Joshua, I wrote this book. But tradition uh, says that it was Joshua. Now, he didn't write all of it because, you know, there's the story of his death. And it's kind of hard to write the story of your death while you're still alive. And, and so we know that he didn't write all of it, but he, he wrote the majority of it. Um, it was probably compiled and edited by a couple of editors, uh, possibly in the, to the time of Samuel, which would have been three or four hundred years after Joshua, or possibly even the, in the post-exilic time, um, post-587 B.C., before Christ, and uh, when it was finally compiled into the current form that we have it. Uh, well, we need to understand that the events that we're going to read in the book of Joshua, they happened in the uh, 15th century. Some people say the 12th century, but it happened, uh, you know, 12, 14, 15 centuries before Christ. And what we're going to read is a book that's going to cover uh, the, the conquest of the land of Canaan. It's going to cover the story of the Israelites going into this promised land and taking possession of a land that God had given to them. Now, I know sometimes when I read the Bible, I read it, and I'm kind of like, okay, I, I hear about all this, 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 these places, and I have a hard time picturing, is this a real place? What does it look like? So go ahead and show that first map. Here, this is a picture uh, of, of, of the conquest. This is a picture of the land that the Israelites took possession of. Uh, you'll see the big body of water there in the center. That's the Mediterranean Sea. Um, next to Moab, there's that little body of water. That is the Dead Sea or the Salt Sea. And running up from the Dead Sea or the Salt Sea is the Jordan River. And then that little body of water above that next to the yellow, um, that is the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee, that's the sea where Jesus walked in the water. That's that kind of thing. So I I, I like being able to look at the, the Bible and say, hey, I'm reading all these things that are happening but these are real places. This is a, a real story. In fact, go ahead and show that, that next map there, Ben. Um, this takes that same map and, and portrays it or overlays it over uh, modern countries. So you'll see in the bottom left, we see this is Egypt. And you see the Red Sea in Egypt. To the right, bottom right, you see Saudi Arabia. And moving up, you see Jordan. 
uh, then that, that whole land where all those colors are, that's the land uh, that the Israelites took over. Uh, you're going to see that's typically, that's going to be Israel, and that's going to be the Palestinian state. You move it up north, you'll see Syria and Lebanon. And if the map uh, was further to the right, you would see that's where, Egypt, or that's where um, Iraq is. And so, you know, these are, are, this is a real place. This is really a, a history, a, a lesson of what has happened in, in our world. These are not just uh, theoretical stories. These are real stories, real places, real people. So the question is, who really cares? I mean, who cares about this, right? I mean, I mean, why would we want to study this book of Joshua that shows this conquest, that shows all these military victories? What, what, what purpose does this book have? What purpose does the conquest, why does it even matter to you and I? Let me tell you, there's much more to this book than just military victories. There's much more to this book than just land. To understanding the true meaning of the story, we have to start at the beginning of the story. Uh, four centuries before, 400 years before we get to Joshua, God, in his grace, he chose a man named Abram, a guy who was uh, not a moral guy. He was a pagan. He didn't believe God, believe in God, but God chooses him. God chose Abram, and he made this huge promise to Abram. God says, here's, here's what we're going to do. Abram, I want you to leave your, your father's land, and I want you to go to a land that I will show you. And God says, I will bless you, Abram. I will make you into a great nation. I will make your name great. And God leads Abram into this land of Canaan, which was this land of Canaan is the descendants of one of Noah's wicked sons. And in, Josh, in Genesis chapter 13, verses 14 through 17, God says this. And it says, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward. God has led Abram into this land. And God says, look all around you. Verse 15 says, for all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that no one can count the dust of the earth. Your offspring also cannot be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. You see, so what we read in Joshua, this, the first purpose of this conquest was, it was the fulfillment of what God had already promised to Abraham. God had made this promise and said, Abraham, this land will be yours. It'll be for your families and your, and your generations. So the conquest is the fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham 400 years before. The remainder of Genesis, uh, the book of Genesis, will follow uh, uh, Abraham's family line to establish uh, the covenant people, which is Israel, through Abraham and his son Isaac and, and Jacob. And, and Jacob ended up uh, changing, getting his name, God changed Jacob's name to Israel. And, and remember, Israel, he had 12 sons, and these were the 12 tribes. And the youngest son of Jacob was a guy named Joseph. And uh, uh, God used Joseph providentially to save the nation of Egypt during a famine. And, and, and God took care of, of, of Jacob's family there in the land of Egypt. It's a good story. Uh, that takes us through the book of Genesis. Eventually, though, Joseph dies. And eventually, all those people in Egypt, after God had used Joseph to save them, they, they forget about Joseph. They, Joseph dies. And they forget about all that Joseph had done for them. 
And so blessed by God, now there are thousands and, and hundreds of thousands of, of Hebrews, of descendants of Abraham and, and, and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And there's so many that the Egyptians become scared and they force the, the Hebrews to be slaves. They force them into slave labor. And so that leads us to the book of Exodus, which means the departure. And Exodus is going to tell us the story of, of, of God freeing God's people from that slavery. That, that, that by God, through a man named Moses, God leads Israel out of slavery in Egypt. At this point, it's been 400 years. It's been 400 years since God made that promise to Abraham. And when God appears before Moses, he comes before Moses in a burning bush. And we know the story of the burning, bu- burning bush. And he calls Moses and he reminds Moses of the original promise. And this is what God says in in Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. He says, The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites, Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. You see, what, what, what God is telling Moses is God is saying, hey, I'm ready to do something for you. See, there was one purpose that God had for rescuing his people out of slavery in Egypt. There was, there was one purpose. God was destroying the greatest nation on the earth, which was Egypt, uh, through the ten plagues. God instituted the Passover and the shedding of the blood. And, and God provided the delivery of Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery, with the climax of the crossing of the Red Sea on dry ground. God did these things for one purpose, not just for the sake of rescuing his people. No, the purpose was to lead them into the promised land, was for the conquest of the land of Canaan, so that his people would be able to come into possession, possession of the land that God had given them. So Canaan, Canaan was the goal to which God was leading his people. This, 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 slave, this, this, this freeing of Egypt, or this, <laughs> this freeing of Israel from Egypt was for the purpose of leading them into the promised land. Not just to say, hey, you're free now, but it was, no, I have something better for you. But the story continues that even after God had prepared the way for his people, after God had done all these miracles of parting of the Red Sea, after God has done these things, seems like maybe only minutes later, the Israelites start complaining about how bad it is. They start complaining and say, you know, now we have to be, uh, and we have to wander, and we have to walk to where you're leading us. And, and it's kind of like, you ever drive out of town with kids? And as soon as you hit the gap, the complaining starts. Oh, she hit me. Oh, I gotta go to the bathroom. Are we there yet? I mean, we went to Tri-Cities, and no doubt before we got out of Union Gap, one of the kids starts saying, are we there yet? And I'm like, we just left. That's the way it is. And so, despite their complaining, God is faithful, and he provides every need for uh, the Hebrew and the Israelites as they're being led to the promised land. In the book of Numbers, There's a story about God instructs Moses to send out 12 spies into the land of Canaan. And their job is, is you're supposed to scope out the land. Go to this land that we're supposed to possess and that we're supposed to take uh, possession of. Go and check it out. Tell me what the land looks like. Tell me about the people. Let us know. And so so Moses sends out 12 spies and and the spies come back. and, And 10 out of the 12 spies 
say this. They say, you know, the land is amazing. The land is it's perfect. It's like 70 to 80 degrees every day. I mean, that's the kind of land I'm picturing. I'd love to be in that kind of land. You know, it's fertile soil. There's, there's Chick-fil-A's on every block. You know, this is just, uh, this, is, this place is, is amazing. But there, there, there's a problem. Is this land, they've got some pretty big guys that live there. You know, they've got, they've got some, some big, tough-looking guys. It's kind of like those guys are giants, and we're just little grasshoppers. You know, so, so I don't know if this land, you know, even though this is what God said, I don't know if this is really a good idea. Because I don't think that we can do anything about these guys that live there. They're too big. They're too strong for us. But the other two spies, a dude named Joshua and a guy named Caleb, they say, yeah, yeah, you know, it looks pretty tough. You know, those guys, they all look like Brock Lesnar, and we all look like me, five foot seven and 155 pounds. You know, yeah, it looks tough, but this is what God has said. God had said he will bring us into the land. God said he will give us the land. And if God is for us, then who can be against us? So they say, let's go for it. Don't fear them, but the people, they listened to the loudest voices and they sided with the 10 scaredy cat spies. And because of their disobedience, because of their lack of faith, God passed judgment on them and said, all of you men who are over the age of 20 years old, except for Joshua and Caleb, none of you are going to enter into this promised land. And so at God's command, Moses leads Israel and they wander around the wilderness in circles. For 40 years. It took 40 years of wandering in this wilderness. Of, of not really going anywhere. It's kind of like, like going to the grocery store with your wife. you know, And you're kind of going around and like, how many things can you look at? You know, two hours later? I mean, it's kind of you're just going in circles. You know? A couple of you know what I'm talking about. So here they are. They're on the edge of this promised land. The edge of the land that God had promised to give them. And instead of responding in excitement, instead of responding in gratitude and in faith and obedience, they respond with doubt and fear and unbelief and rebellion. And God judges them and says, none of you are going to enter into this promised land. It leads to 40 years of wandering in the wilderness in circles. Here's what I want you to see. See, not only does this conquest fulfill the promises that God made to Abraham, not only does a conquest, not only is that the reason why God brought Israel out of Egypt. No, there is a personal connection for every one of us in here. You see, God didn't save the Israelites from Egypt so they could wander around in the woods. No, he saved them to bless them and to give them spiritual victory and rest. He promised them so much more. And if they just would have had faith, if they just would have been obedient to what God had told them to do, God would have given them so much more. He would have given them the land that was so amazing. So the third purpose for the conquest is it is a picture for us as Christians not to let our Christian experience just be a wilderness experience. You see, the reality is God didn't send his son Jesus just to save us from our sins so we can get a t-shirt and say, look what I got. Good for me. And then we continue to live like we did before. He didn't save you so we could constantly live and defeat and to struggle in life. No, God, just as God saved Israel for spiritual victory and rest, 
God has saved every one of us. God has sent his son to die on the cross for every one of us so that we could be freed from our sin and that we could enter into the promised land, into the land of victory, so that our life would be a victorious war raged on the power of the risen Savior. This isn't some health and wellness gospel that we're talking about here, but this is a challenge that so many of us feel like, like, man, man, I got Jesus in my life. Yeah, you know, I'm trying to follow God. I'm trying to surrender and, and, and obey him. But it just, it just feels like I'm spinning my wheels. You know, I'm, I'm trying to do this Christian thing, but it just it feels like I can't grow. I can't take those next steps. It's, it's like I'm, I'm not becoming more like Jesus. I'm not being changed. I'm, I'm struggling with the things of the world. And it's just kind of like I'm floundering in my Christian life. And I'm just kind of walking in circles. You know, I had a mentor when I was younger, and one of the things he said to me, he said, you know what the best kind of preaching is? The best kind of preaching is when you preach to yourself and you just let other people listen. And so I believe that this is what God wants you to hear in this message. That this is why God has brought you here. And I know this because I've been in that place. Yeah, I was at the place where, yeah, I love Jesus. And I, and I said, Jesus, I want you as my Savior. But there really wasn't much change happening in my life. I was struggling with the same things that I used to. I struggled with the same issues that the world had to offer. And, 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 I, and I became so frustrated. And, and soon I began to respond kind of like Israel. And I began, you know, maybe complaining. You know, God, you're just not doing this. You know, I'm, I'm trying to follow you. And it just seems like life's not getting any better. And maybe what happens, and maybe even we allow, we allow doubt to creep in. You know, we, we say, you know, sure, I, I prayed the prayer. And sure, God's supposed to make my life better. But my life's not any better since I've began following him. And so we, maybe we begin to doubt God. Maybe we begin to doubt, man, maybe God didn't really save me. You know, maybe God isn't real. Maybe God really isn't there. And I've just believed a lie. And we allow doubt to begin to creep in. Maybe, maybe it's not that God isn't there. Maybe it's just we haven't fully surrendered to him. Maybe we've just said, you know, yeah, I got that Jesus thing. I got that shirt. I got that get out of hell free card because I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. But maybe I haven't fully surrendered my life to him. Maybe I'm walking around in the wilderness, walking in circles when God has told me to take so much more. See, don't settle for living in defeat and wandering in the wilderness. God saved us not just so we can get the get out of hell free card and constantly struggle in life and live in defeat for the rest of our days. See, I'm convinced that with this understanding of the connection between this conquest and, and, and our Christian lives, that God will use this book of Joshua to open for me, and to open for so many of us new areas of God's plan of redemption for us. New possibilities of spiritual victories in our lives. And, and, and freedom, the freedom that God has promised us. He's promised us freedom. He didn't promise wandering, us, wandering in the wilderness. And sometimes we just have to say, God, I'm going to surrender completely to you. And you say to do dumb things. I mean, you say to go in and you see all those giants. And God, I can't do that. But God said, I will give you that victory. 
And we just have to be obedient to him and faithful to him because God will give us those victories. God's already said it's done. If we just ask God to open our eyes, I believe that the book of Joshua will will cease to be just a mere record of historic events, but it will become a revelation of what God can do and what God will do in our lives if we completely trust in him. So that's probably the longest introduction to a sermon I've ever done in my entire life. That's like three quarters of my message right there. But, you know, the the reality is God did some amazing things through Joshua and through the Israelites. And, uh, you know, we see this. And what I want to do for the last part of our message this morning is I'm going to look and I say, yeah, God did these amazing things with Joshua and with all these people. But wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great and awesome if God did something amazing and tremendous and powerful with us? Wouldn't it be great if God could do amazing things through, through my life and through your life? I mean, wouldn't that be great? I mean, you and I, we probably aren't going to go and conquest and take possession of the land of Canaan. God's not going to send us down to the Tri-Cities and to take that and make that the, 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 the Tri-Cities restoration city. I mean, that's not what God's going to probably call us to do. But, but what about God using us right here in our own families? What about, what about God using us and creating a gospel foundation in our families that see lives changed in our own families? Families that have had years and years and years of trouble and, and, and addiction and problems. What if God used us to change the culture of our families? What if, what if God used us to impact our community? To make a difference in where we live. I mean, it's interesting. On Facebook, we've been kind of following a little bit. There's been these articles about how, how bad Yakima is. You know, and, and there was an article that was put out a few weeks ago about how people feel unsafe in the city of Yakima. And, you know, it's interesting because you read the comments about these articles and everybody says, Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, Yakima, stay away from it. Yakima, get out of it. This and that. You know, I just kind of believe that God has us here for a reason. I kind of believe that when God sent us downtown, downtown, who does that? When God sent us here a year ago, that God had a vision and a reason for sending us here. You know, I've been having this prayer, uh, this, this, this constant prayer in my own life on God, don't let, just, don't let us just make a dent. God, let us make a difference. Let us make a difference in this city. I mean, I mean, what if, what if God used us to begin to restore our city and redeem people and see lives continue to be changed? I mean, isn't that why we're here? Isn't that why we set out a year ago to plant this church? This is why we're here. We want God to use us. We, we want God to do a tremendous work in us and through us. You know, some of you are at the point of, in your lives... Where you're kind of like, hey, what's next for me? What's next for me? What's my next step? Maybe I know some of you are getting ready to go off to college and start adulthood. You know, and you begin to say, you know, I've got all these dreams. And I've got all these visions and all these plans for what my life will be like. Now let me say, don't worry about building your own name. Don't worry about building a fortune. Ask God to use you to make a difference. 
ask God to say, God, how can I be used like you used Joshua? And some of you begin to wonder and you say, well, you know, I can't do that. God can't use me. I don't have anything to offer. I'm, I, I'm weak. I, 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 I can't even tie my shoes. I, I, I wear socks with flip-flops. I mean, God can't use me. I have all these issues. I'm not good enough. But, but when we turn to Joshua chapter 1, on the threshold of this new era of responsibility, Moses, the, the leader of Israel, has died. And now God has said, Joshua, you are now the man. You are the guy in charge, Joshua. You're the leader. You're the guy. And, and on, uh, on the threshold of this new era of responsibility to lead the people into Canaan, to be an example for the people to follow. Look at what God tells Joshua in, 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 in verse 9. He says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You see, when God said, be strong, he was speaking to a man who felt weak. When God said, do not be afraid, he was speaking to a man who was afraid. He was speaking to a guy that says, man, I don't have the skills to do this. I'm not capable. What do I have to offer to God? Why did God choose me to use to make a difference? When God said, do not be dismayed, God was speaking to a man who would naturally want to quit the job altogether. You know, there are other things I could do. You see, the problem is most of us, we are too big for God to use. We are too full of our own schemes and our own way of doing things. I mean, the world speaks about survival of the fittest, but God gives power to the faint. He, give this, he gives strength to those who have no strength. He perfects his strength through weakness. He uses what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And it's at that point that we can say, man, God, I don't know how I can be used. God, I don't have much to offer. It's at that point that God says to us, God says, be strong. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So I believe that God wants to use this book and challenge us to be strong. To be prepared to make a difference. And as we look through the rest of chapter 1, I'm going to look and I want you to see three qualities uh, for the people that God chooses to use. Looking at Joshua, and Joshua is the, the leader of the people. He becomes the example for them to follow. So we're going to look at Joshua and see what are three qualities that God looks for, the people that God chooses to use. First one, God uses the faithful. Look at verse 1. It says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' Moses's assistant. What was Joshua's job? The ESV says it was, he was Moses' assistant. The NIV uses the word aid. He was Moses' aid. The King James Version uses the word minister. All of those paint the picture that Moses, or excuse me, that Joshua, he was a servant. That's what he was. He was Moses' servant. We don't know how long he served in this capacity under Moses, but we know that Moses led Israel in the wilderness for 40 years. So potentially, 
Joshua served faithfully as a servant underneath Moses for 40 years. During those 40 years, we read about Joshua fighting faithfully against and defeating the Amalekites. Joshua uh, had gone into the promised land. Uh, we remember we talked about, and he went into the promised land as one of the spies. And he returned with the minority report. He said, yeah, there are giants there, but he believed that God was able. And it was after Joshua's 40 years of faithful service, service behind the scenes that God suddenly speaks to him and says, hey man, hey man, I'm ready to use you now. You're in charge. I'm ready to use you to make a difference. I mean, Jesus said in Luke chapter 16, he says, whoever is faithful in little will be faithful in much. Yet how often, how often do we begin to complain about our, our, our daily minute details that we have to take care of? I mean, I mean, so often we think that we are, 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 are worthy of something bigger. I mean, we say, I want to be, be the tip of the spear. I want to be out front. I want to do big and amazing and great things. And our little sphere of service seems so inadequate and so unworthy. But I want you to see that every hour is essential to God because he uses it to make us somebody that God can use. I mean, if we meet the smallest responsibility, if we dignify the smallest duty with the most response of our mind and heart and our personality, one day God will relieve us of that little thing to give us something big. It is our faithfulness in the small things that enables us to be men who someday God can trust with big things. I mean, look at Jesus as our example. Jesus began his ministry at 30 years old. After 30 years of faithfulness, after 30 years of preparation, I mean, he was subject to his parents' uh, discipline at his home. He was subject to uh, working hard, faithfully as a carpenter. He served in obscurity and faithfulness. And that one day he stepped out of, out of security, out of obscurity. He was baptized and he entered into the ministry And then a voice from heaven came and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The seal of heaven was on his 30 years of obscurity and faithfulness. So God is looking to work through the faithful. Secondly, God uses those with a distinct call. Look at verses uh, 2 through 6 with me. Chapter 1, it says, Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to you. Who's giving it to them? Who, 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 who's giving it to them? God is. God is giving it to them. Let's m- remember that. He says, he says go into the land that I am giving you uh, to, uh, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised Moses. You see, this whole land, this whole land was to be given to the people, but they could only possess that portion which they actually went and claimed. They had to obey. They had to go. They had to have faith. They had to trust that what God said was true and would actually happen. And verse 4 says, from the wilderness 
uh, and this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and the land of the Hittites, to the great sea toward uh, the going down of the sun shall be your territory. And he says, no man shall stand. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give to them. See, this was their call. This was their call. This was their purpose. This was their mission. See, God speaks clearly. His, his mission, his call, it's not some ambiguous mystery that we have to, we have to figure out. I mean, sadly, in Christianity, we talk about the, 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 the will of God as some sort of mystery. Like, we'll never understand what God really wants for us. We'll never understand God's call on our lives. It's kind of a mystery, and we hope someday to figure out what that call is on our lives. See, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that. See, I've seen God's will, not necessarily God's word, but, but people use God's will as an excuse to ignore all of, the, all of God's commands that he has already given us in his word. So they can do nothing as a means so they can avoid the commands that they don't like. Or they have permission to delay our obedience until we feel whatever we want to do. You know, we say things like, oh, you know, yeah, you know, the church needs someone to come and do this. And, you know, I could do that, but I just don't know. You know, I don't know if that's God's will for my life. You know, let me, let me pray about it. See, we kind of use God's will as a way to ignore what God has already called us to do. God has already given us his command. It's right here. And we want to say, no, I need to wait for God's, sun, you know, the, the clouds. And God's going to write it in the clouds and say, this is what you're supposed to do in life. No, God has already told you what you're supposed to do in life. It's right here. And sometimes we want to use these excuses and say, well, I'm just seeking God's will in my life. So I can't do anything because I'm waiting for God to reveal it. God's already given it to you. Well, you know, I'll pray about it. I would argue that God has already revealed his will to us. Personally, his will for us, our mission, our call personally, is to live in the power of the gospel. Not in our own power, but in the power of what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. Our, 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 our responsibility is we are to depend upon the Holy Spirit to live and to love people more like Jesus. We, our mission, our call is to express gratitude for Jesus, for his empowering us with new life. And, and our call, our mission is to worship him as, as greater than anything else in the world. Personally, this is our call for every one of us. It doesn't matter, doesn't matter when you got saved. This is our personal call. We're to follow him and surrender completely to him. God's already given you your call. Corporately, as a group. God's, God's will, our mission, our call is to commit to God's people, to commit to being a part of the local church. Our call is to proclaim the gospel, to know Christ, and to make Christ known throughout our city and across the entire world. Our call is to serve one another, to love one another, to encourage one another. Doesn't matter when you got saved. Doesn't matter what you feel your call is. This is every one of us. We have this call to serve and to love his people and to love the world. That is what we're called to do. Doesn't matter if you want to pray and say, God, what is it? God's already given it to you in his word. You don't have to pray about it. When God says, do this, you get up and go. See, God's mission is clear. 
Restoration Church, we've summarized our call. We summarized it a year ago of our mission of knowing Christ and making Christ known. And we've had a tremendous first year. Praise God for his blessings in this church. We've seen God change lives this past year. We've seen God change hearts this past year. We've seen God uh, grow us deeper in love with him and wider in number. And we praise God for that. That's the reason we celebrate. And it's good for us to recognize all that he has done. The Restoration Church, his mission, his call isn't done. There's still a city all around us. There's still people who are hurting, who are, who are far from God, who are going to be bound for hell. Unless we be obedient with our call to know Christ and to make him known all around us. This is where our confidence and our strength comes from. By, by understanding our distinct call that God has put in our lives. And thirdly, the last quality of people that God uses. Look at verse 8. He says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it, meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For when you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. See, the third quality of people that God uses is a commitment to the Word of God. People that have a commitment to His Word. I mean, for us to be used by God, we have to be strengthened by His indwelling power. We have to be filled by His Spirit. And there's only one way for that to happen. He says, thou shalt meditate therein day and night. There's no magic formula to the power of God. There's no, there's no, I can't sell you anything that will magically make you righteous, that will make you holy, that will give you amazing skills for you to serve God. All I can say is to get into your Bible and meditate on it day and night. The greatest growth and training for us as Christians isn't on a Sunday morning. It isn't in a classroom. It is found by yourself reading and wrestling in the word of God. That is where we grow. That is where we get the strength to to be obedient to what God has called us to do. This is the way that Jesus went about his life. The Lord Jesus believed on the authority of his Bible, the Old Testament. I mean, throughout his lifetime, he quoted the Bible again and again and again. He quoted the story of Jonah to prove his resurrection. During, the, tempta- during the, the temptation of Satan, he, he used the Bible in the temptation. And many times when he was confronted by the devil, he said, It is written! Jesus' power and his strength and his life, it came from the word of God. Jesus himself said, These words I speak unto you, that they are spirit and they are life. See, when we live, and we are saturated by the Word of God. When we say, I'm going to make this not something I do on Sunday morning, not something I leave in the car Sunday morning so it's there next Sunday when I go back to church. But when I say, I'm going to be in God's Word, I'm going to study it, and I'm, going to, I'm going to meditate, and I'm going to figure out, God, what are you trying to say to me? When we become saturated with the Word of God, we are sure, assured of His presence. You see, if we want to be people that God uses. God uses those who are faithful. God uses those who are obedient to their distinct call. And God uses those who are committed to his word. See, Restoration Church, we're here. We've lasted a year. Praise God for that. But you know, I'm praying for year two. I'm praying for year three, year four, year five, year six. 
I'm praying and saying, hey, as we go through this book of Joshua, as we look and as, 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 as Joshua is leading the Israelites into this promised land, into new territory, expanding their boundaries, I'm praying that, that we would be people that God uses right here. That we would be faithful with, with the, even the little things that God has called us to. That, that we would, would understand our distinct call that God has put in our lives. That we would be, we, we, that we would be committed to God's word. Because you know what? I believe that God wants to expand our territory. I believe that God wants to continue to reach people. That God wants to build his church. And I want to I, I wanna say, God, would you use us for that? God, we don't have anything great. We're, I mean, we're, 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 we're just a regular group of people. I mean, I don't think anyone here would say, I'm so wonderful. I have all the skills that God needs, us, needs to use. I would say all of us are saying, God, could you use me? Because if we come before God like this, and we say, God, I'm willing. God, God, I'm willing to be faithful to you. I'm willing to obey your call in my life. I'm willing to be committed to your word. I believe that God's going to do great things through us. I believe that God's going to open doors for us, allow us to continue to know Christ and make Christ known all throughout this city. That is our call. That is why we're here. A year into it, let's not get distracted. Let's not get distracted as to why God sent us out, to why God planted Restoration Church. We have a call in front of us. Will you step up? Will you be a part of that this year? Amen? Let's pray. God, this message is a little different today. We're kind of trying to do a lot in a little bit of time. God, we're trying to give a foundation for this book of Joshua. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us through it. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. God, that we would be a people who aren't pursuing our own name, who aren't so busy trying to make ourselves great and trying to focus on, our, on ourselves and our own families, but God, that we would be obedient to your call, to the gospel. That we would be obedient to your call to know you deeper, to make you, know, make you known to those around us. God, I pray for those in here today as we look at this book of Joshua. Lord, I pray that we would stop wandering in the wilderness. God, I know there are those who are wrestling and saying, man, I'm trying to follow you, God, but I just feel like I, I'm not getting anywhere. You're not changing me, God. I pray that we would fully surrender to you. And that when you say, follow me, that we would follow you with every part of our lives. That we wouldn't hold back. That we wouldn't just settle for wandering in the wilderness. But that, God, you would lead us to the promised land, to spiritual victories, to, to, to life abundantly. Because, God, that's what you saved us for. You didn't save us just to get our get-out-of-hell-free card. You saved us to change our lives. And I pray that we would have that kind of faith to trust you wholeheartedly. That you would do what you said you would do. That you would change our lives. That you would make us a new creation. God, I pray for every one of us that we would understand our call that you've placed before us. That we would be faithful to that. We would be faithful to you. Even in the small things that we would honor you and say, God, would you use this? Because God, I want you, I want to see you work in my life. I want to see you work in our lives. I want to see you do tremendous things through us. All of us want to be used by you. God, would you do that? Would you do that today? Would you do that this week? Would you do that this year? God, this isn't for our own glory. This is for yours. 
God, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for this time together. We ask this in your holy and perfect name. Amen.